I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. In October of 1985, a woman named Cherie Warren left work at a busy Salt Lake City office. To meet her estranged husband at a downtown auto dealership. She never made it home. Cherie's car surfaced weeks later in Las Vegas. In the parking lot of a hotel casino. No one knows how it got there. Strange. It was strange. Both Cherie's estranged husband and her boyfriend raised suspicion for investigators. I kind of thought that he might have done something. But no arrests were ever made. In Cold Season 3, we dig into double lives, make new connections in the case, and examine the difficulty raised by reasonable doubt. We want answers just as much as anyone else. They have creeps like that now too, so nothing's changed. That's the new Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie. Now available anywhere you get your podcasts. Welcome to this week's episode of the It's 2012 uh, podcast. Tom Hackett alongside Steve Bartle. Check Steve out on Twitter at sbartle247 or at udzone.com. Myself at Tom Can't Hackett or at kslsports.com. And a big thank you and much love to our sponsors, Nate Subaru. And here's the deal, guys. It's October, which means that Nate Subaru is teaming up with uh, West Valley Animal Shelter. They do this every year. And they, uh, they, they basically, if you go in there and, and buy a, a furry friend, purchase a furry friend, adopt a little, little, uh, little companion, and Nateway Subaru will donate $100 for every animal purchased. So a pretty cool little initiative there with, uh, with Nateway Subaru and the West Valley Animal Shelter. Um, so Utah's the only unranked team, sorry, the only un- team in the Pac-12 that hasn't lost a conference game yet. Who would have thought that about a month ago? Very few people, uh, I have to assume, we'll dive into that. An emphatic victory over the Arizona State Sun Devils we need to dive into. And then, of course, I mean, look, uh, the going gets a little bit easier, but, but, but not by much. Uh, a trip up to Corvallis is on the schedule for this upcoming weekend. Date with the Beavers, if you will. Uh, which needs to be talked about as uh, as well as much, much more. Steve, my man, you look sharp. Have you had a haircut? Uh, no, I'm actually, it's, uh, I'm growing out a mullet. And so, you know, I like to keep uh, things nice and trimmed on the sides. And, and uh, so, yeah, so the mullet's coming in quite nice there, Tom. Thank you. I appreciate that. No, look, look business at the front, party at the back. I get it. Bingo. Bingo. If I had hair, I'd do it myself. And I know a lot of people, well, I know all people that listen to this can't quite see you. So that's a shame. But uh, but you look very <laughs> dapper indeed, my friend. Um, Saturday night, Steve, you were, <laughs> you were up at the game. You were checking it out from the comfort of the press box. It was 35-21, uh, 28 unanswered second half points. Arizona State didn't score. Gore in the second half, despite leading 21-7 at halftime. It was certainly, I guess, a tale of two halves, if you will. And we don't need to talk a ton about the first half, because as it relates to Utah, not a ton occurred in that first half. But what was it, Steve, about that second half comeback? Why and how were Utah able to, 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 to put on such a, such a formidable display in that second half? Yeah, it was, man, it was uh, quite the turnaround, right? Like that, that first half included, you know, two interceptions, uh, pretty surprising turnovers there. Um, you know, and for whatever reason, it just seemed like, you know, Utah was a little bit off, um, 
you know, in terms of their execution uh, on both sides of the ball. It wasn't just offense, but, you know, both sides of the ball had just some issues where they were just, just a little bit off. Um, and so, you know, you go into halftime, it's 21 to seven and Arizona state, man, they, they kind of controlled that first half and it, it felt like, um, you know, they were certainly on their way to um, a pretty, I don't want to say pretty easy victory, but a pretty, pretty impressive, um, you know, performance. But, you know, they, they come out, Utah comes out in the second half and they, they got the, they had the ball first. Um, and they marched right down the field and scored within just a few minutes. So you're thinking, okay, yeah, Utah's, they're going to make this a game. It's 21-14. We've still got over 10 minutes left in the third quarter. You know, and then the, the defense takes a field. I can't remember if they forced a three and out on that first series. If it wasn't a three and out, Arizona State got like one first down and then they punted. Um, I'm pretty sure it was a three and out. So the defense gets the ball back to the offense and the offense goes right back down again and they score a touchdown and all of a sudden it's a tie game and we're not even halfway through the third quarter. And it's just, you know, it was it was super impressive to watch this team come back out of, of the locker room um, more with more energy. They were sharper in terms of their level of execution. The offensive line was getting a little bit more push. Cameron Rising was, you know, making sharper decisions, sharper throws. Everything just kind of honed in in that second half. And the execution on both sides of the ball was was really, really impressive. As you mentioned, Tom, Utah goes on to score 20, 28 unanswered. And, you know, it's it's largely due. I don't want to say largely due because everybody can tr- – when you score 28 unanswered, a lot of things are going well on both sides of the ball, right? Um, and so it was just – it was an impressive performance. And I think Cameron Rising really kind of spearheaded this thing for Utah just with his play and his kind of, you know, elevating his level of play really kind of helped everybody else on that offensive side of the ball. Yeah, I, I guess I, I owe Utah fans an apology for those that listened to this podcast last week. I was foolish enough to state that Cam Rising, prior to the Arizona State game, uh, had yet to throw an interception. And, of course, the second I said that, I had yeah. a pretty good feeling that that, uh, <laughs> that, that record wasn't going to stand. And lo and behold, he threw a pair of them. He didn't throw just one. He decided, you know what? <laughs> I'm going to throw two of these suckers. So uh, two touchdowns, two interception evening for Mr. Rising. He added 247 <clears throat> yards. He was 21 of 33, which uh, is pretty impressive. Look, he didn't have a ton of yards necessarily, but quite effective when he did decide to uh, to throw the football. Um, and then I think, you know, yeah, we'll talk, we'll talk about the offensive productivity first and, uh, and obviously, you know, you've got a long list of, of receivers that really stepped up. Devon Belle, Dalton Kincaid, Theo Howard, Brant Keithy, Cole Fotheringham, and Britton Covey all had uh, at least three catches, which you don't often see um, when you kind of look at the box score for any real Utah game to have, what was that, one, two, three, four, five, six players with at least three catches, Steve. Yeah. That's... um. That's rare, I feel like, uh, or at least it has been. Hopefully this trend is only going to continue. And then, but but where I wanted to go with this is is, is Tavion Thomas seems to be the back that Carl Whittingham is kind of fixated on. Um, 
And I think it's a really interesting conversation to have because, you know, over Carl Whittingham's tenure at Utah and specifically, you know, since I've been around anyway, I can talk on the fact that anytime he he comes across running backs, regardless of how talented they are, that have fumbling issues, he's pretty quick to, uh, to go to the next player and give them ample opportunity to try and take that lead back role. But he hasn't done that with Tavian Thomas. He's really been patient with the young man, number nine, and uh, and again, he led the team in carries. He had twenty. The next best was uh, was TJ Pledge with seven. So I mean, pretty pretty sizable difference there when when, when you when you just look at the carry margin. And um, uh, yeah, I look that there's something there, Stephen. I know the media is yeah. not allowed to go to practice, and so it's it's kind of, it's awfully hard to kind of tell what's exactly unfolding throughout the week. We we can only really watch game days, but there's there's something about Tavion Thomas that has Carl Whittingham fixated uh and it and it seems like the fumbling woes that occurred at the start of the season have been taken out of the game or his game i should say and and he is that star back which which i think to be to be perfectly frank steve i'm actually um pleasantly surprised to be honest i uh i love it i love how how tj uh, sorry uh tavion thomas is kind of getting his second lifeline if you will and and, and so far he's making the most of it yeah no absolutely i think what makes Tavion Thomas so special is obviously his, his toughness and his physicality. Um, you know, a, a hallmark of the running back position at Utah are, you know, it's guys that can, you know, as much as we want to talk about the big plays, it's, it's as much about, you know, taking what would be a tackle for loss and turning it into a two, three, four yard gains sometimes, right? Like you think Devonte Booker, you know, he was so good at finding space, creating two to three yards on plays where it seemed like he was bottled up. And he, you know, he faced a lot of defenses that were, you know, clearly keying on him um, and, and trying to eliminate him and, and, you know, get him in the backfield. But, you know, he was just, he had that knack of, of finding two to three yards when it seemed like nothing was there. Zach Moss, same thing, like just found yardage, whether it was breaking tackles, whether it was, you know, a jump cut, identifying a hole on the backside, whatever it may have been, you know, Utah running backs have just had, that's a a common trait that they've all had is just being able to, to create, you know, yardage to avoid the negative plays. And I think that's something that Tavion Thomas uh, brings to the offense. There were multiple times where, you know, he was, it seemed like he was going to be tackled for no gain or tackled for loss. And he just kind of broke tackles uh, and, and created yards out of nothing. And then, you know, in that, in that second half, they really went to him, you know, in those first couple of, of series. And you see, like, his big play potential, right? Like, there was a play where took an, out, uh, an outside handoff to the left, picked up nine yards. I think it was actually the first play of, of the second half. A couple of plays later, or maybe it's the next drive, takes a handoff and he bursts through the line of scrimmage for about 15 yards. And so you, you see it there. And I think that is kind of what has, you know, kept him in, in wit's favor here is I think we're, we're close to seeing Tavion Thomas get to that point where he's, comfortable with things and we'll start to see some big big plays right I think that's kind of 
what Whittingham, what Coach McDonald are, are kind of hoping for and why, you know, he emerged throughout fall camp and really kind of became the guy that everybody was talking about is because there is this big play potential with him. And so it's just a matter of time and getting him reps. And I think, but I, I, I agree with you, Tom. I think, you know, Tavion is emerging as, as RB1. And truthfully, like, I think it's something that will also benefit TJ Pledger, Makai Bernard, where they can kind of be the, the complementary pieces, the change of pace, right? And that's going to be something that I think Utah's going to, uh, to utilize. Uh, it was something that Andy Ludwig did with, uh, with uh, multiple running backs at Vanderbilt before he came here. And, and I think, you know, we'll start to see this where we'll see, you know, TJ Pledger, he'll get six, seven, eight, nine, ten carries maybe. He'll get some usage uh, in the passing game as well. He'll get some opportunities there, and he can kind of be that change of pace. You know, you saw it at the end of the game. He had that big play of, what, 23 yards, 25 yards, something like that. And I think that's kind of the ideal role for TJ um, and those two can really work well together. So, yeah, I think it's a, a really good positive sign uh, that Thomas is kind of emerging and, and kind of, you know, establishing himself as as RB1. Yeah, look, he's, an, he's a very easy player to cheer for as well. Right. Um, I, I don't know how many of our listeners have tw- a Twitter handle or how often they use it, but uh, he tweeted on October 17th, um, quote, it's crazy – how just a few months ago I was sleep I was sleeping in my car watching college football on my cell phone, wishing I could get another shot to play the game that I love. And he goes on Wild. to to talk about yeah. you know how how it's important not to give up on your goals and dreams even when you don't see the the light. And and anyway, look I look I just think it's and he's such a unique player cool. as well. It's really cool, isn't it, Steve? And and you yeah. know he's, he's so he's so powerful and um and and he's quite a, a large running back. He's two hundred and thirty odd pounds and. Uh, he's a force to be reckoned with uh, when he's at his best, and um, and and look, if he can kind of get things really moving and humming over the back end of this season, yeah, there's a good chance he 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 has a legitimate chance at, at playing in the National Football League by the time his time at Utah is all said and done. So he's, I mean, he's that sort of player, he's that sort of talent when, yeah. when you kind of look at the measurables and. And then the play on the field when when he is playing well, he's um he's almost unstoppable. It also you know look at I know we talked about this last week. We don't need to go into it, but it also helps when the offensive line can gel and they gelled again against Arizona State. They were they they were good for a second week in a row, which uh, I don't need to go into my rants, but you know how I feel about that. Um, <laughs> Steve, on the flip side, and I feel bad uh, because I feel like we haven't talked about this player nearly enough. Uh, Devin Lloyd uh, led the team in tackles alongside Fabian Marks. And he ended the game with back-to-back sacks to end the, the night with two sacks. And, um, I mean, like, he, he, he right now, he, he was a, an All-American, mid-season All-American, mid-year All-American or whatever, mid-season All-American, whatever they call it, on, like, four different ballots. I mean, he's, at this point, on the verge of becoming a unanimous All-American uh, mid- midway through the season. There's a good chance he'll, he'll, he'll have a, a long list of accolades uh, at the end of the season. He's... <laughs> Is is he actually? Is he legitimately at this point? Is he a legitimate first round pick? I know a few weeks ago, you know, we were, we were talking about how you know he's a potential eleventh, twelfth overall pick, but you know that was kind of the first we had we had kind of seen of that. A lot of people prior yeah. to the year thought second, third round, but 
with how he's playing, you know, for 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 another year at Utah, uh, you, I, part of me and look, I'm not a guru when it comes to kind of establishing talent and who's a first rounder, who's a second rounder, because I think it's you know apples and oranges, incredibly difficult to kind of pick apart. But I mean, I I don't know of a better linebacker in the Pac-12, which would suggest that he's maybe the best linebacker on the West Side, uh, you know, on the on the West yeah. Coast, and he's a potential first round pick, is he not, Steve? No, absolutely. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm a firm believer. He's he's absolutely a first round talent. You know, you're talking about a guy that's six foot three, two hundred thirty five, two hundred forty pounds, and he's got a long wingspan. And he the the thing about him is like he's good at you know at everything a linebacker needs to be good at. And I think if you're looking for a linebacker, if you're you know a team. Um, late in the first round, middle of the first round, whatever it may be, you know, wherever he ends up being drafted, you know, a team looking for an impact player at the linebacker position, you know, Devin Lloyd is, Devin Lloyd is going to check a lot of those boxes that you, you want from that linebacker. You want a guy to be good against the run. You want him to be able to, to rush the passer, got to be good in coverage. And as we've seen, like Devin Lloyd has certainly take a, taken a step there in terms of his ball skills and what he's able to do. And so, like, Lloyd is absolutely an impact player. And, you know, he's, he's certainly working his way into not just being a potential first-round pick, but solidifying his status as a first-round pick. Like, it's, it's trending towards, like, you know, him, like, where is he going to be picked in the first round and not if, you know, that's just how things are going for him right now. A lot of people are starting to catch on onto, you know, his impact and, and his talent level. You know, now that Utah's kind of turned the corner and, and he's played well throughout the entire season. Yeah, he. Um, I, I, I was thinking, like, like, what is he? What are his weaknesses? I mean, I just. And again, yeah. I, I'm not. I'm not the guru when it comes to kind of you know, trying to figure out pros and cons of players and and you know who's better than who and all that good stuff. But I mean, you watch him play, and I don't think it's all that hard to figure out that he doesn't have many, if any, weaknesses. I mean, he's all over the field at any given time. He's he's the leader of the defense, which which would suggest that he's incredibly intelligent. Intelligent. Yeah. He plays with passion. He's 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 athletically as gifted as any linebacker you know i've seen come through utah and i say that with all due respect and there've been some really good ones by the way but he's he's probably the most athletic linebacker i can remember and um and he makes plays maybe more importantly he pops up everywhere right. all the time uh and so i just you know, you know he's 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 a, he's a true joy to watch um and i hope utah fans kind of understand just just how good he is yeah, because you know he's <laughs> not going to be around next year, and uh, who knows if if Utah will will ever have a linebacker of his caliber under under the leadership of Carl Whittingham. I I, I don't know. Um, yeah. I mean that that game, Steve, was so crazy that Britton Covey flexed on somebody. Hey, let him have it, Britt. Let him have it. <laughs> let him have it. What has gone uh, into him? Oh man, it uh, it was like. I don't know what it is, but like <laughs> that Utah ASU rivalry, um, and and you know if you don't want to call it a rivalry, I understand. But there's there's certainly some added emotion in that game, and I think it was really telling with the way that Britton Covey 
You know, it wasn't just that, right? Like, yes, he got flagged for flexing, but when he had, when he, he, uh, I don't want to say he muffed the punt, but he caught a, he called for a fair catch on that punt return. Um, and you know, he's, he's like going after the, the ASU, you know, guy and, and, and calling for a flag. And it was just like, it was kind of refreshing to like, see that from him, man. Like, and not just him, but like everybody like Brent, you know, was, was, was talking his talk and, and letting it be known that he was playing well and, and, and doing things like, um, it was, it was really, really interesting to see that emotional side and, and to see these guys like, uh, just, just having fun and, and enjoying themselves out there. Yeah, no, I couldn't quite believe my eyes. And, and then upon yeah, further it was reflection, wild. it was wild. Upon re- further reflection, I, I started to try and figure out, you know, like why, why would he, why would he do that? He's never done that. He's had many chances to do something like that. And he's decided against it. But I, look, I, still, I, just, I just can't help but think maybe, 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 what Brent Covey did with with the with the whole flex thing, or maybe that's a, a, a reflection of of where this Utah football team's at right now, and 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 take it from yeah. somebody that's kind of been in in that locker room and the emphasis that's placed on on on, on being a well rounded, disciplined football team. That there's a, there's always an emphasis on doing the right thing, making you know your assignments doing your 111th and 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 kind of showing up for the team and and there's always been this but i but look i and i and then look i'm, I'm yeah. sure the coaches coaching staff still kind of hammering that point home but but part of me is also starting to believe that, that the difference between this utah football team and maybe maybe other football teams that have come through utah in the past is is this team is is kind of letting go of you know all of the the, the small and, and minor details that go into performing well, and and they're just letting emotion kind of take over, and their instinct take over, and and they're playing with like this this in, in, in intense amount of emotion and passion that you can't you can't coach. Uh, it's powerful when it all comes together, as was kind of exemplified in the second half against Arizona state. And, and it's, it's, it's cool. It's unique. It's different. And it's, and we don't see it from Utah all that often. I feel like Utah is such a black and white football team where, you know, that, that you've got to, you've got to play a certain way and, and you can't really get too carried away about whatever it is that that's going on. And, and, and just this year's dip, it, it just like, as of late, especially the last two games, it just feels like there's something different about this team. And I have to believe that they're just letting instinct take over and they're playing with all the yeah. emotion that they can find. And it's working, Steve. They're having fun. Like you go, like we were talking, we were up at practice yesterday and, and talking to the offensive guys. And I was talking to Bam, um, you know, big old Bam. And, you know, he was talking about how much fun they're having and, and uh, not something that, you know, I thought I would hear, <laughs> you know, a couple of weeks ago is, um, you know, these guys are just enjoying the game and having fun. And Bam, Bam said it's largely the, the reason why the offensive line has kind of started to perform better. And I think that's something that's come from Cameron Rising taking over as as quarterback. Um, you know, we like Tom, you know, we've, we've been on this Cameron rising train for, 
you know, quite some time. And, you know, we know what type of personality he is, right? Like he's a very charismatic guy. Um, you know, Whittingham has talked about it many times. He doesn't, he hasn't had a bad day, you know, in his life. And that was something that Bam said last night. It's just like, you know, he's always smiling. He's always in a good mood and it's infectious. Like it's, it's, it's something that has just, the, the players have, have fed off of his energy and you see that. And I think, you know, Britton Covey, Brent Keithy, all of these guys are just feeding off that energy. And that's kind of what we're seeing on the field, you know, especially Saturday night with how they performed and, you know, some of the fun that they were having after the plays, like they're just having fun. And it's, it's really cool to speak, to see it, especially considering the, the difficult times, the tough times that they've all had to go through this, this year. It's good to see them just enjoying themselves, playing the sport that they love and just having fun. Yeah. Look, I, I felt this way for quite a while. Um, and I'm under the impression you, you could go to any corner of the globe and listen to sport analysts discuss the tactical side of whatever game yeah. it is you're into. And, you know, that, that, that all generally speaking, and, and it's, you know, it's obviously, it's not just you and I, Steve, it's, it's the rest of the media here locally, nationally, globally, there's just uh, such a large emphasis on on kind of the tactical side of of sporting events. And look, it's there's reason behind that. It's it's for you and I. It's the easiest way to judge team. We can you know if if we know the, the sport well enough, we can watch and analyze and try and figure out what one team's trying to accomplish, what the other team's trying to accomplish, and how kind of the the two are, are faring. But we don't we don't discuss the the mental side of things we don't talk about the chemistry of a group or the locker room environment and look it's it's hard to talk about that because for you and i you know in, yeah. in the positions where it, we're, we're just not around the team enough to really get an understanding and to be perfectly honest Steve, uh even when i played you know it it's 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 a subject it's a topic that it's hard to put your finger on because even when you're in that locker room you're like oh i feel i feel like things are going well but look there's 120 guys in the college football locker room and I may be feeling great but the guy next to me may not you know he may have um, he may have had a poor game the week before or he's a scout team guy that's getting run into the ground week in and week out he's just not all that happy I, you look it's so it's incredibly hard to kind of put your finger on but but this is I look I feel pretty comf- confident and comfortable saying that this this Utah team has some sort of an edge when it comes yeah. to chemistry and and we can speak to the players and try and try and figure out exactly what that edge is, or or where it came from, or who led the the charge, or whatever. But 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 man, is it powerful! And uh, and I'm under the impression anyway. I think I think football teams, and if we, we specify college football teams in general, that the, the teams that uh, are closer with one another, that that have like a, a a certain energy about them. I mean, they're the teams that go on to do great things, in my opinion. Yeah. Um, you you can have talent and all that good stuff, but but you've got to have you've got to have an you've got to have have an edge. And and for Utah football this year, it seems uh, as of right now, anyway, through Pac-12 play, that 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 energy, that chemistry, that locker room feel, that friendship and bond that they've been able to establish with one another may, may be that this year, which is incredibly 
exciting yeah. for Utah fans. It's an optimistic way of thinking and um and who knows what it could lead to. And 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 I guess that's a, a pretty good segue to start talking about the Oregon State Beavers, Steve. Um what a weird what a weird year they've had. Um in some way. You know, they obviously they were coming off a big high, beating the USC Trojans three weeks ago. And then they and then they fall to Washington State of all teams. They crumble to <laughs> Washington State. And now they're on a bye, or they've been on a bye, and so they've had two weeks to prepare for Utah, which I'm not a massive fan about if I'm a Utah fan, but right. such is life. What what's your analysis? What's your expectation of, of the Beavers as it stands through whatever week this is now? Yeah, man, uh, this uh, this Oregon State team is is not going to be the same team that we saw in 2019. You know, where Utah scored, you know, they won that game 52 to seven. Um, this Oregon State team is is a much better product, uh, and it's largely due just to the the leadership of Jonathan Smith. Um, you know, I really have a lot of respect for Jonathan Smith as a coach, just because you know he is very detail oriented. And, you know, we talk a lot about Utah and their, their process and, and respecting and trusting and, you know, whatever else you, you want to say about the process. Like Jonathan Smith has kind of brought that to Oregon State. And, you know, this is largely the result of, you know, the years past, the last few years of kind of building towards, you know, something, uh, you know, an improved product on the field. And now, you know, they're four and two on the season with, you know, losses to Purdue and Washington State. They've beaten Washington. They've beaten USC. So two really, you know, good wins against, you know, traditionally strong um, programs in the Pac-12. Uh, and so it's, it's impressive. And what they've done is – They've done it on the ground. They have a very strong run game. I think they actually lead the Pac-12 in rushing, you know, as a team. And they've got two really good running backs that are just doing a, a, a great job. But it's it's largely the offensive line that is kind of leading the way for the Beavers. Um, they do an incredible job of getting movement up front, of creating lanes. Uh, they work and fight um, to, to win blocks. And it's, it's really for refreshing to watch, you know, somebody that ap- appreciates, you know, offensive line play, you know, this is a very good offensive line. Um, and so this is a, a team that is averaging 240, 240 yards on the ground. And, you know, part of that is the fact that they do have a quarterback that is mobile, that is athletic. Um, I don't know that he's a Jaden Daniels type athlete, but I certainly think he's comparable to a Jaron Hall. You know, where he's going to be able to get out of the pocket if things break down, if he's pressured on passing plays, he can get out of the pocket. He can create some yards that way and contribute in that manner. And so, you know, this is this is a run-heavy team. They're going to use. They're going to look a lot kind of like Utah and Arizona State, where they're utilizing multiple tight ends um, in their run game. They'll use you know a lot of screens. To they've got a lot of smaller, quicker, faster receivers. Tajon Lindsay is probably the most recognizable name uh, for the Beavers uh, in terms of pass catchers, and so you know you're you're going to want to keep an eye on on those guys. But you know, in terms of the offense, it's going to look a lot like a Utah or Arizona State type offense where they're you know really emphasizing the run game. 
I know they got two really talented backs, but uh, I am yeah. a big, big fan of BJ Baylor. He is he's impressive oh, yeah. to me. He is he's the one for me anyway. And and I don't know how the Utah coaches feel if 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 they if they can relate to this, but he he's the one for me that if you can stop, you'll give yourself the best chance of winning. He's um he's gone over a hundred yards in every game, but two the two games being opening game of the year. In the 30 to 21 loss to then number 25 ranked Purdue. Uh, and then believe it or not, weirdly, he um he didn't he didn't get the hundred yard mark against uh, Idaho, the, the Idaho Vandals, uh in the 42 nothing blowout. So but he went over a hundred and like, vandals. The other thing is like when he when he when he does get over a hundred, he he gets over a hundred, you know, with ease, it seems, against uh, against Hawaii, he he went for 171 yards. Against USC, he went for 158. I mean, these are serious numbers that he's putting yeah. up. Uh, against Oregon, uh, sorry, against Oregon State, against Washington, he went for 111. So I guess that's kind of the one game. And then and then the last game they played Washington State, he ended with 145 yards. So I mean that is that's a lot of yardage uh oh, yeah. BJ Paylor through the first half of the year. So uh I, I look I think this is a, a pretty cool Oregon State team. You obviously mentioned Jonathan Smith at the helm. What what a what a somewhat remarkable accomplishment he's been able to have and the impact in, in such short in such a short amount of time he's been able to have up there. Um, but but they're, they're, yeah, they're well rounded, aren't they, Steve? Uh, especially on the offensive side, the offensive line sound, running back sound, Chase Nolan, the the quarterback can make throws when when needed, and uh, and and without question, I think this is going to be a a, a, a test. Uh, I think I saw the line; it opened up uh, three points in favor of Utah, so they're given up three points on the road to Corvallis, which look, would suggest that maybe this game is. Pretty close in the end. Oregon State are a team that, in my opinion, Utah should beat. Yeah. But the Pac-12, as we all know at this point, is kind of a, a wild ride. And uh, expect the unexpected, they say, um, yeah. because you just can never quite predict what's about to occur. And uh, look, if, if Utah doesn't show up and Oregon State does, without question, without question, the Beavers are going to get the job done in front of their home fans in Corvallis, Oregon. So uh, you're driving up, Steve, right? You're going to take the drive on up. Yeah, yeah. Uh, un- unfortunately, <sighs> I am uh, going to uh, work. So me and Kendra, we're going to make the drive. We're leaving Thursday. And uh, yeah, we're going to make that, I guess, 12-hour journey uh, to, to Corvallis. So uh, obviously, thoughts and prayers would be appreciated. Uh, 12, 12 hours in a car is, is just, just awful. Yeah. Just awful. Yeah. If it makes you feel any better, um, way back when we're probably going back six years now, my wife and I took a trip up, uh, and flagpoled the border of Canada. Um, oh, there you go. Flagpoling sounds sexual. It, it wasn't. We basically <laughs> went into Canada turned around at the flagpole and came back into the United. It was a visa thing. Don't mind me. It's legal, or at least it was. I don't think it is anymore, but I did it. And that's, uh, I think it was about a 10-hour drive to the border, but we just literally went north straight, you know, like 
we weren't weaving uh, to uh, to Corvallis or anything, but um, but we survived, Steve. And that's the kind of the point of of this story is uh, my wife and I still married uh, happily, I believe, and uh, we were able to do do about a twenty odd drive. We went up there one day, came back, slept the night, came back the next day. So it was uh, it stung though your buttock. Your buttock is yeah. numb upon uh, yeah. upon return. So uh, and you don't want to look at a card like yeah. You know, yeah, don't even look at the car because it's no. anyway. You guys will be fine. Podcasts are plenty. Yeah, yeah. Uh, energy drinks, whatever you guys are into. Gas station stops, you name it. You guys will be mm. just fine. I'm excited for you. The good news, Steve, is um the scenery. You you should get oh, yeah. you should get you know some pretty views on that drive oh, because yeah. you know, as soon as you start to get into Oregon, the landscape kind of just opens up and it's uh, it's blissful, if you will. So uh, five thirty is the kick for those that are wondering. Oh, this upcoming Saturday. Uh, what's it been? Do you know the television station, Steve? I'm sorry, I'm not good at this. Uh, shoot, I should. I want to say it's Fox. Uh, let's just call it Fox. Uh, you can figure that out yourself, I guess. Both teams four and two, big contest. What else is there? Did we miss? Oh, anything? it's Pac-12. It's Pac-12. Ah, the old Pac-12 networks. The old Pac-12 networks. Um. All right, Steve. Well, look, there's not a ton ton else to talk about. Uh, Coach Whittingham did give his assessment at the midway point of the uh, the season. Uh, well, there, there wasn't a ton that came out of that, I have to assume, other than he's excited about the trajectory of the football team as uh, as it relates to this year. I, yeah, you were probably in that uh, press conference. Did anything come out of it? Uh, yeah. So, I mean, obviously loves, loves the way his defense is playing. Like, I think that's pretty clear that they, you know, he feels like the defense is playing some good football and they've had some, some bad halves here and there, some bad quarters, but on the whole, I think the defense is playing really well. And obviously since, since Cameron rising has taken over, um, you know, they've, they've kind of figured some things out. It sounds like, you know, as we talked about earlier in the show that Tavion, is kind of establishing himself as, you know, RB1. And then the, and then something that you kind of touched on was, you know, there were six guys that had, you know, at least three receptions. And I think that's something that um, has is, is a good thing for Utah because it shows that they've got their playmakers identified and that they're getting them the ball. And that was something that Whittingham talked about yesterday at his press conference was just that they've got, you know, a good idea of who their, who their guys are, who, who demands touches and, and who to get the ball to. So that's a good thing. Um, and obviously with the way Cameron rising is playing, like you, you feel really, really confident about what you can do in this, you know, second half of the season. One thing we, we haven't touched on, um, and and there was a sadly, sadly, oh man, this one tugs on my heartstrings. Let me tell you, there was a season-ending injury that occurred against Arizona yeah. State. And my good friend and fellow specialist Keegan Margraf has, I believe, torn his ACL and meniscus, which is a um, that's a bloody serious injury, uh, and that's going to require a lot of rehabilitation. Uh, which is incredibly disappointing. He was voted as one of the captains of the team. Uh, look, I know he. a lot of the people that listen to this probably think he's only the long snapper, and I get it, but 
Let me take you back a couple of years to when Mitch Wisniewski was around and a certain individual with the last name Withingham just so happened to be the long snapper. And the chaos that ensued that year uh, on the punt team was not fun for anybody involved, uh, more so Mitch than anybody else. Trust me, I heard all about it. But uh, we <laughs> hope nothing else like that uh, occurred. JT Greep is the backup long snapper. I wish I could tell you more about him. He came in and played about a half of football and uh, and did did enough. Yeah, nothing, yeah. N- nothing crazy occurred. No snaps over heads or anything. So if he can just get the ball back to the holder of the punter in a somewhat timely manner, then Utah should be just fine. But again, it's easier said than done. Keegan was a talent. Yeah. He was drafted in the CFL draft during the preseason. He was voted as kind of one of the best long snappers in the entire country. He was hoping and hope and still is hopeful, I should say, to potentially have a crack at the National Football League. But again, all of that now up in the air, given that he does not have an ACL or a meniscus in one of his knees. So uh, fingers crossed. And we send our love <coughs> to Keegan, who's a, uh, a good pal, a good friend and a good person. So that's the sad news. Um, yep. we'll, we'll have to see if, if JT Group is, is up to the challenge, but hopefully, hopefully he is. Anyway, uh, that's Steve Buttle. At sbuttle247 is where you can find him on Twitter. I'm at Tom Can't Hack it. Check Steve's workouts at uzone.com, myself at KSL Sports. And, and quick reminder, in all seriousness, I know, look, the weather's getting colder. Uh, you probably, you know, if you don't have a, a furry friend, a cat or a dog, you probably need one uh, for your own mental well-being, you know, and the fact that they're warm and you can cuddle them in the middle of winter. So just head on down to West Valley Animal Shelter. Buy one of the dogs or cats available down there. Neway Subaru will donate $100 per animal. That is adopted slash bought from West Valley Animal Shelter. So do uh, do yourself a favor, get a dog, and, uh, and 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 you know have some input into the whole charity thing too. It's uh, it's all for a good cause, good karma coming your way. Steve, my man, be well, please. Safe travels up to Corvallis. Don't be ripping each other. Appreciate it, Tommy. Off. All right, no appreciate ripping you. Yeah, two hands on the wheel, seatbelts at all time. You know the drill. <laughs> But uh, thanks, Steve. We appreciate you. We'll be back next week with hopefully an early week episode. We were good this week. We were well behaved. We'll try and follow suit. Adios. friends taking pictures of the rising full moon on a summer night. Two teenage kids doing what teenage kids do. When a stranger with a gun and a death wish changed everything. It was violent. It was senseless. And I will never understand it. I will never accept it. I'm Amy Donaldson. And unfortunately, we're all too familiar with stories about how violence shatters lives. But what we rarely see is how they are rebuilt. In a new podcast, The Letter, we relive tragedy, but only so we can hear the rest of the story, the struggle to reclaim lives, the realities of grief, and the possibilities of forgiveness. I believe in miracles. Sometimes I thought, there are no miracles. Yeah, there are, and this is a big one. Follow The Letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts.